Hello, welcome to This Girl Can, where we speak to wonderful women doing fabulous things in pharma. I'm Liv Nixon, and today, as a follow-up to my conversation with Jill Donahue last week, I'm chatting to the incredible Annapurna Carvalho, President of Western Europe Markets, Pfizer. Having now been at Pfizer for over 20 years, Annapurna talks about the impact her childhood years had on her personal purpose and the importance of how that connects to the corporate purpose at Pfizer. We talk about the importance of making a positive impact and how something as simple as a smile can be just that. I found Anna Paula incredibly humble, yet one of the most uplifting, inspiring guests I've had on this show today. It's a good one. So let's get going. Hello, Anna Paula. Welcome to This Girl Cam. Hello. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. I'm really excited to talk to you. I appreciate you making the time, so thank you. So tell me a little bit about yourself and your background, not just your career, but but your home and family life as well. Okay, so I was born in Mozambique on the 4th of July, 71. Um, I'm married with Miguel. Uh, We will be 28 years of marriage here. We have two boys, Gonzalo with 24 and Pedro with 23. And we have a dog, Boss. We are currently living in Madrid, in beautiful Madrid. Uh, I'm Portuguese, uh, but because of my professional commitments, I had to move to Spain and I love it. Um, So I'm a mother, I'm a sister, a doctor a friend, um, and um, I just enjoy life, and, and I'm always looking forward to meet different people, so it's a great opportunity also to meet you, Liz. Oh, likewise. I, well, that's one of my favorite things about doing this podcast, is I just get to chat to incredible, awesome women all the time. <laughs> so how long have you lived in Madrid then? So from a professional perspective, um, I'm with Pfizer almost 20 years. And so basically there was a function that I had to do from Spain uh, when I was the cluster uh, lead for the hospital business of Pfizer. At that time, Spain was one of the key growing markets for the company. Um, Although I had multiple markets under my responsibility, the one that was supposed to grow the most was the Spanish market. And it was a turnaround type of strategy. So my global president asked me to move to Madrid and do my role from here. And, and so since 2018, I think, right. uh, I'm based in Madrid. And uh, it's a very multicultural, friendly city. Uh, you will find people from all over the world. You will always feel welcome to Madrid. And, uh, and it has been a, a tremendous experience for me and for my family. So it was when it's one of those moments where the personal life and the career comes together and the stars align and you are, I am at least very grateful to be here. Do you get to go back to Portugal often? Yes, I do. Because it's a one hour flight, yeah. uh, roughly five and a half, five and a half hours by car. So I'm able to go to my home country often, and it's as if I have the best of both countries. Um, and I'm also very proud of being Portuguese because also Lisbon, 
and Portugal overall, although I may have a bias. It's a very beautiful, welcoming country and uh, very sunny and the food is also amazing. It's all those things that people tend to say, but that's exactly the reality. At least for me, that's the reality. My sister lives in Portugal, so I I do visit Portugal quite a lot. Yeah. So tell me a bit about your career as well. It's always good to get the full picture. Okay. So as I said, besides my personal life, um, also an important piece of me, it's also my, my profession. And I do try to integrate as much as possible in a balanced way, my profession and all the other things of my life. So it's, it's uh, always that, that integration that I fight for. Um, so I do have a very diverse background from a career perspective because I started in clinical trials and also regulatory affairs in the pharma industry. Um, and then I moved to corporate affairs, government affairs uh, type of roles. Then I assumed responsibilities in terms of pricing, reimbursement, negotiating with the authorities, epidemiological studies. And somewhere in time, when I was already at Pfizer, then I had a significant twist in my career because I've assumed uh, a business unit with responsibilities of marketing and sales, something very, very different uh, at that time for me. Um, I was managing in the specialty care business unit, um, and it was also a tremendous experience. From there, I became the country manager of Portugal, which I did uh, for almost five years. At that time, it was also a period in which Portugal was with the, inter- the intervention of the International Monetary Fund. Right. I was vice president of the pharma industry also. So I worked a lot with Troika, the negotiations of the memorandum of understanding that gave me not only external exposure, but also internal Pfizer exposure, because I was already working for Pfizer at that time. Um, it went quite well. And uh, because of those positive outcomes, Pfizer asked me to move together with my family to Italy, Italian business. Um, and that started my international career. And it was a period that everybody was saying that it was too late to start an international expat type of career because I was already with more than 40 years. My kids were 12 and 13 years old. Right. But um, we spoke and we took a decision as a family and we felt that for all of us was going to be positive, which it turned out to be the case. We moved to Italy once again, assuming the responsibilities of the business, P&L, digital transformation at that time. And from there, I I continued to grow within Pfizer. As I said, in very diverse type of roles, I became also Center Europe um, president and multiple roles to the point that during the pandemic years, I was chief commercial officer for China and also all emerging markets. So Africa, Middle East, Latin America, Asia uh, developed. It was two years really doing the role virtually 
at that time, I was supposed to move to New York, but I ended up never moving. While my direct reports were basically all in the US, in New York. It was an amazing experience. So wow. I felt that during those two years, I learned more than as if I had done the role for more than four years. But wow, it really? was two years. It was a lot. Yes. yes, it was an amazing, difficult learning period. From there, I became the regional president for immunology and inflammation. So coming back to Europe responsibilities, but also Japan, Australia, uh, New Zealand, and, uh, and South Korea. Again, an amazing experience to the role that I have currently, though, as Western uh, Cluster President of Pfizer. So it's a very diverse background. I never had a master plan, honestly, but uh, in my mind, it was always about, okay, grab the opportunities, um, life will unfold, focus on what you need to deliver, bring others with you in your journey. And try to really always look the the common good that everybody could obtain. So yeah. I'm very, very grateful for the career I have at Pfizer, but also all the other companies uh, for whom I, I, I have worked. You, your career is incredible. You must be incredibly proud. I'm sure your family are as well. I'm, I'm intrigued to know what it is that you love now about what you do. Because you clearly are passionate about your work. So tell me a little bit about the bits that you love. What I love is the fact that more than ever, my personal purpose is connected with the company purpose. Uh, I always say to the people uh, with whom I work or even others that I have the opportunity to discuss career, you know, visions for the future. Try always to find things in which your personal purpose can come to life and be connected with the purpose of the company that you are working or you are willing to work. And so this is some of the things, among others, some of the things that makes me very happy to go to work every day and to really connect with the colleagues and have the business discussions that I need to have. Um, because above all, I do want to positively impact others, either if it is my team members, either if it is peers or even people that I can come across. Because when I speak about positive impact, it can be the most simple thing, like a smile when you are walking in the street and you just cross by another person and you give a smile. So... It can be those small positive impacts, or it can be helping a colleague when they need to prepare themselves for an interview, or be a sounding board for another person that works for the same company or even external companies that have a hurdle and need to have a perspective or just to be listened. So that's why I say, my personal purpose of positively impacting others is connected with Pfizer mission of delivering breakthroughs to patients. So it's also impacting patients positively. Um, that's what I love the most in my job. And of course, being more concrete, um, 
when I think about my leadership responsibilities, it's trying to uh, support my team members, uh, removing the potential herders that they may have in their markets because the country managers report to me, um, trying to support them to flourish, to grow, to achieve their own personal aspirations. Um, and, and the reality is whenever I'm highly connected to my purpose, it's when I take the best decisions and it's when I positively impact also the communities, the colleagues and the business, because it comes naturally also the positive impact on the business. And, um, and in my case, working for the, the pharmaceutical industry, I've been a patient in the past. I know how it feels to have a diagnose, to really want a medicine, and that medicine not being available in your home country. And uh, being desperate to really control the symptoms that you are feeling. So in difficult situations, I always try to remember what I felt and what others maybe feeling for their specific condition. Um, I think that we are very, very, we should all be very grateful for working for the biopharma industry, honestly, because the power we are given is tremendous and therefore we need to be highly conscious that with great power comes also great responsibility. Because when people are sick, it's when they are highly vulnerable, you know? And so everything you need to do needs to take that into consideration. So when I work with my team and coming back to what you were saying, I really try to help them because through them and through the in-country colleagues, we can better support the care providers, giving proper and transparent uh, information about the therapeutic areas in which we work, our products, we can help them in also helping their patients. And that's very special. And I think we should all honor the fact that we are being given this special opportunity. It doesn't mean you don't have bad days and difficult <laughs> days, and it doesn't mean that every moment of the day you feel that special connection with your purpose. But it's really, especially when there are significant struggles, to just pause, breathe, and put things into perspective, the big picture. And, and, and honestly, as I said, sometimes even myself, when I complain, oh, so much complexity, so much uncertainty, this is so difficult. I try to be self-aware, you know, and not allow myself to stay there in that gray, dark space. As human, I allow myself some days to feel sorry for myself, but I don't want to be stuck there, you know, because when, when you start reflecting and doing that self-assessment and putting things into perspective, come on, eventually the most terrible thing, it's in either to, for you to lose uh, a family member, a son, a daughter, have a tremendous um, 
difficult diagnoses for which there is no solution. Those are real problems, right? The rest, I think, we can find a way. It doesn't mean that it's easy, but we will always find a way. And if we cannot find it on our own, reach out for others. And, and that's one of the things uh, I, 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 uh, I, I strongly believe because sometimes we feel so alone and so heavy with the hurdles and the problems. But when you start sharing, when you speak with others, you will, you will be positively surprised that people do want to support. We just also need to be vulnerable and open ourselves to others. If that yeah. makes sense. To <laughs> it makes absolute sense. So you recently contributed to Jill Donahue's book, The Dose of Inspiration, with a hundred purpose-driven stories of pharma leaders. And I would, was hoping you would tell me a little bit about that experience. You went through the interview process. Was there anything new that you discovered about yourself? And chat to me about that. Yeah. You know, for me, it was a, a, a tremendous opportunity because uh, during the interview process, the questions um, that I was um, being asked to answer, some of those questions were also a moment to reflect by, uh, uh, around my early years in Mozambique, the revolution days, the return to Portugal and to Europe. And I think it was the first time in my life that I honestly um, allow myself to reflect about it and to really try to understand how my personal journey in those early years did impact me uh, in my adult years. So it, it was it was as if till that moment I was always in a kind of a rush in terms of my life, not really pausing and reflecting. Um, and even nowadays, for instance, a while ago, you were saying, oh, it's an impressive career. And, and I'm not saying this to get compliments, honestly. But in my mind, it's a normal career. I think it's still related with the fast pace and not really allowing myself sometimes to reflect. And it's important to reflect. Because it's when we pause, we reflect that we move forward more strongly. But the reality was, when I did the interview with Jill, it was the first time I, I really reflect about those early years and the learnings from those early years. And the fact that I was a very young child when I arrived in Portugal, um, that it was supposed to be my home country. And yet I didn't recognize it as my own country. And, um, and that at very early age, being with my brother, he was six years old at that time. And basically the entire day, I wouldn't see my parents. Um, and I don't want this interview to be a moment, oh, poor her and so no. on. Not that I wish others to have some of the experience, let's call it like this, some of the experience I had at very early, at early phase. But the reality is that those experience gave me tools 
throughout my entire life till this day, yeah. you know, because it was very profound, very foundational of who I was going to be as an adult. What you're saying makes so much sense to me in terms of taking that time to reflect. It isn't something we do, like you say, you just get on with life. It says, you know, especially once you start having children and life just keeps going, doesn't it? And, and we don't get that exactly. time to pause and reflect. And you're absolutely right. It exactly. is so important. I got additional clarity about my purpose. Yeah. Um, because it, it was as if I had fragmented things that I was doing, but it was as if she helped me to have clarity on my personal purpose yeah, and to make clear uh, to me and even to others when others ask me. Um, and that allow us even to, to define where do I want to put my energy and what are the things that are just noise and what are the things that will allow me to bring a better version of myself and also how can I bring the better version of others? And it's not always perfect. <laughs> there are things that you cannot, uh, you may not bring your better version. There are days that, you know, you may struggle, but at least gives you a North Star. Yeah, absolutely. So did you find it changed for you as you were going through the process? Were there re any real aha moments that totally changed the way that you think? Yeah, it was when she started uh, asking questions and she started identifying commonalities throughout different periods of my life. And it was when we start noticing that... Um, in different situations and in different periods, I would be very resilient. In different moments and in different periods, I would always try to focus on what really matters the most, your personal values, your family, doing the right thing. In different moments also, understanding that diverse and diversity, inclusion, and equity were always present. So she helped me to identify, once again, those foundational assets that I had, but I was not conscious of them. And also realizing, and, and this is something the people I know uh, know that I say it a lot, which is the more I give, the more I have. And she was the one also helping me to realize that. Um, so she allowed me to put together my personal journey in a way that I can share also with others and eventually inspire others also to bring their best versions moving forward. I mean, you say eventually, I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm listening to you now. It is in incredibly inspirational that your approach to your work and why we're here. And like you say, it is a privilege to work in this industry um, and to treat it as so is utterly inspiring to hear. I don't think we hear enough of that from people in roles like yourself. So 
Thank you for that is, is one thing I would say. So I am curious, if you don't mind me being a little bit more nosy, about what triggered your interest in regulatory affairs? What, what brought you onto this path? I know I understand there is a clear connection to that wanting to, to serve people and making a positive impact in people's life. But when was that born for you? Well, um, when I returned to Portugal, as I said, I was almost four years old. Um, I became a very introverted child. Mm-hmm. I was extremely introverted. Um, but I do remember that during those very early years, I forced myself to speak up whenever, either in the playground, either in the classroom, whenever I felt that something was being unfair to a colleague or to someone that I was observing in the playground, I always felt this impulse to speak up and to stand by. Um, And it came always very naturally. So that willingness to help others, and, and, and it was always and still is, it's so easy for myself to put, to put myself in the shoes of others that I always felt the need of helping others, of picking up for others when I saw that they were not being able to do so. And that's why even later when I was a teenager and I had to decide what exactly what career path I wanted, it was not easy because either I wanted to be a lawyer and defend people or I wanted to go to a, a more scientific area, but also in the perspective of biology, helping others and so on. So till very late, I was trying to decide exactly what I wanted. And I remember my parents um, uh, did several uh, exams to try to help me to clarify. And the results of the exams were always both possibilities for me really at the end eventually at the end I decided to to go to pharmacy um I always was clear that I didn't want to be a physician because I felt that I couldn't bear the suffering of others but I did discover even during doing the industry you you do come across with suffering of others different levels of suffering, but still suffering. Um, so it was as if I wanted to avoid suffering of others, but, uh, but as a human being, you are always exposed to that. So I was very naive, <laughs> one can say. But, uh, but as I said, since very early years, I always thought about it. So the point that I do remember that somewhere in time, I was even considering to be a nun. Really? Yes, really. (laughs) Literally. Wow. Literally. Uh, But anyway, as I grew older and I went to the university, I met my husband and uh, there goes the man. (laughs) But uh, you do start to realize that simple, constant, kind act of kindness can have a tremendous impact in others. Uh, I do remember a situation 
uh, when I was in the north of Portugal, I went there for a concert for the weekend with my husband. And then the, it was a cold flight concert. Oh. And we left extremely late. We couldn't find taxis. And um, we start walking back to the hotel. And after almost one hour walking, I said to my husband, honestly, I cannot walk anymore. I'm so tired. I wish a taxi would pass by here. And it was literally in a place where you wouldn't see anybody. And suddenly appears a taxi. Wow. Of course, we entered a taxi and I was so thrilled. I started speaking and chatting and so on. And so we think that that man was suffering tremendously because he had just lost his mother. And we start speaking. And by the time we reached the hotel, he said to me and to my husband, you know, um, the fact that we start speaking today, it warmed my heart and I didn't feel so alone. And I feel that one saw me. And that's why since that situation, I always try to remember myself. We never know what's going on in the life of others. And, and, and that's why simple, small acts of kindness can indeed have a tremendous impact in people. So that's why I say my purpose, it's always to have that positive impact and doesn't need to be big, huge things. If we can do it, we should, but it can be also simple things. You, uh, so the culture that you inspire um, must be awesome to work with. How do you instill it? How do you go about leading with this approach? Well, I, I really don't think about it. One thing I'm conscious is that I am who I am as a person at all levels of my life. So there is not a version of me for my work, a version of me for my family, a version of me for my friends. I'm always the same person. And I guess it's being authentic, being authentic and sharing with others, even with my team members, that sometimes I don't know all the answers. Sometimes I can be, um, I, I may have a bad day and I just acknowledge and share with them. Uh, and I tell them it's also okay if they don't have all the answers. And this is where shared leadership is, becomes so powerful. It's exactly bring the best of others for a greater common good, you know. Above all, this is what I try to bring to my, to my team members. Um, let's bring our best version, but never forgetting that we are human beings and having a safe space to share things that are in our minds, positive or less positive, but let's work as a team, as a group. Uh, where the different parts become so powerful. Um, and as I said, being authentic allows others to trust you and to bring this mindset of trust, um, this 
common idea that the we is back is bigger than me. Um, I think this is above all what I try to to bring to them, and it doesn't mean that we do not have moments of tension. It doesn't mean that we do not have moments in which we need to take very difficult decisions that also can impact others. But it's also about being professional and aiming excellent and bringing the best of others. And, and that can be very demanding. I can be very demanding, but also I'm always very transparent. I'm demanding. I'm also giving so much of myself. Bring also your best version. How can I help you to achieve that excellence? Because sometimes people are confused that, oh, you are kind, you are too soft. It has nothing to do. It has nothing to do. You do not shy away from constructive conversations, from difficult feedback. You do not shy away from taking difficult decisions. But it's all about the environment in which you create. You want others to be successful. You want others to achieve greatness. Greatness in the sense of really delivering value for everybody. Uh, and that can be very demanding. But you also demand from yourself. And even when you give candid feedback to others, you need to be humble to receive exactly the same candid feedback about yourself. There are people that sometimes are distracted when they see soft skills or when they see that you really want to use your brain and your heart. It's indeed the magical mixture. It's the brain and the heart and taking the right decision. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. But it's really putting everything up to discussion. And it doesn't mean even that after some discussions, I need to take the final decision. But at least we really try to have a diverse perspective about the things we are working. And sometimes acknowledging that there are things we can influence, there are things we cannot influence. But at the end of the day, we will always be the ultimate responsible for the colleagues that work with us at in-country level. Madam, as I said, you know, I try to have an environment as the one I like to have with my manager. Yeah. yeah. Right? There are no difficult topics and uh, there aren't things that you cannot speak up about it. It's the way you do it that makes the difference. Yeah. If you come with a good intention, a constructive feedback or a constructive perspective, you can say anything. You, you can literally say anything that is in your mind, the good and the less good. It's how you say it that makes all the difference. That's such good advice. And if you are respectful, if you are positive mindset, it's all good. It doesn't mean that I will be always in agreement, but at least I try to explain the why. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I want to explore a little bit further with you is DEI 
as a as a whole within the industry and perhaps what your vision would be for the future as far as DEI is concerned? Uh, I, I do think that it's a competitive advantage. And once again, it's reminding us that as human beings, we need to do the right things for others. Um, I cannot envision uh, a workplace in which we we don't try to be respectful, inclusive of others. I, I was the co-chair for the diversity, inclusion, and equity call follow Europe for two years. And it was amazing. Also connecting with the different uh, with the different groups that we have in the different markets, the amazing work that they are doing. And also seeing this growing uh, within Pfizer, it was unbelievable. I remember we started with the women's chapter, you know, the equity for women, also giving opportunities for women to grow and to have leadership roles, the integration of work and life. And then we start to becoming more and more holistic about the perspective of diversity, inclusion, and equity. And we start having uh, LGBT chapter. We start having cross-generational chapter, disability, evolving also and involving other areas than the commercial colleagues, working with the colleagues that were in the production sites, also ensuring that they would have the right to working environments. And it became so powerful and so big and it, it flourished throughout the years. I see that currently um, diversity, inclusion and equity is definitely a competitive advantage. And, that, and there are even studies that showcase that if you have um, leadership positions that are very diverse, it tends to have better performance in terms of financials, in terms of efficiency. There was a big study, I think it was done by McKinsey in 2011, and then they refreshed that study throughout the years that showcased this a work environment in which the, the colleagues feel a big sense of belonging where they can bring their true selves work. It's exactly an environment in which people are willing to run the extra mile, that are willing to create bridge, that are willing to have diverse perspectives. And therefore, with that diverse perspectives, you can accelerate innovation. You can disrupt and positively impact the communities and the patients that we serve. So I'm, I'm a great advocate. It doesn't mean that we still don't have uh, a long road ahead of us. Uh, but I, I'm very, very proud of the, of, the, of the journey that we have so far, not only within Pfizer, but even, even in the biopharma uh, uh, sector overall. I think that companies are becoming more and more uh, conscious of it. And, and even the younger generations, they do want to work for companies that have clear vision in terms of purpose, of mission, and also that allow them to do some social work and support the communities and even that there is a, a, a great awareness in terms of environment and so on. So definitely, it's a big plus.
One of the things, and it's the window, right? Well, thing. absolutely. And that's one of the things I talked about with Jill was having where we are as an industry in terms of the level of trust that people have in the pharmaceutical industry. And, you know, I alluded to the fact that when I started in my career, I didn't really see the good so much. I, had, I was far more exposed to the cynical views around the pharmaceutical industry. And I'm fascinated to get your take on where we are in regaining that trust, because I agree with what you're saying completely about as an industry, we've come huge leaps and bounds with diversity, inclusion and equity. What about the trust? Yeah. You know, um, just to tell you a story, my youngest son is in the final year to become a doctor in the UK. And when they started um, in medicine, he told me, mother, you are in the wrong side of science because you are in the industry. And, and I start to realize that it's indeed the lack of trust. It's huge. And uh, I think we are still suffering, suffering from mistakes from the past. And I think that eventually we need to better communicate the positive things we are doing. We need to better communicate how regulated we are as an industry and as a sector. It is one of the most regulated sectors. In, when you compare industries, it's one, if not the most regulated industry. But the reality is it takes one to damage the image and the good work that you try to do through, throughout the years. And I think that because, as I said, of mistakes of the past, we are still suffering from that. But there are also positive evolutions. For instance, uh, I remember that during the pandemic years, um, all the market research were saying that Pfizer was being considered uh, one of the most innovative companies that do impact people's lives that do bring value. Um, I think that we need also to continue to better communicate the positive things we are doing. For instance, the Global Alliance in terms of bringing medicines to low-income countries. It's a massive global initiative where several multinational companies are involving. It started also uh, with the participation and the leadership of Pfizer. But uh, these things tend not to come across so strongly. Yeah. Even some of the initiatives that we do in terms of diversity around clinical trials, ensuring that we have proper pool of uh, populations in our clinical trials, it doesn't come across so strongly. So I think that we have evolved. But there is still a lot we need to do to better communicate the positive, the positive things we are doing, the obligations that we have in terms of regulations, in terms of transparency. But we will continue to communicate. We will continue uh, leading by example and trying to showcase the positive value that we bring to others. And I guess I will make this my last question because I'm conscious of your time, but to tie it all up, how much 
is being purpose-driven and patient-centric going to help us combat that issue of trust, do you think? Yeah, because it, but it does help us. Because if we put at the center always the patient and what is best for the patient, you will ensure that you are creating a framework that is based in ethics, in transparency, and doing the, the right thing, right? So if we focus everything that we do on that, if in every single decision, we try to ask ourselves, what does it mean for a patient? I think that by doing that, the rest will come. The positive working environment will come. The positive impacts in the communities will come. The positive impact in patients will come. And that will generate trust. But more than saying, we need to be the leaders by doing it um, and hopefully being visible to others. I always say, even when I interact with Minister of Health and other people, that companies are done by people. And we tend to forget that it's easier to put the big labels, but it's when you expose yourself as a colleague, you give a face to a company, people start realizing these are people. And um, we don't wake up in the morning with bad intentions, I'm going to do this. Of course, it's as in every single sector, there are people that sometimes forget the good values and do stupid things. But that's common in any sector. That's why we try to instill the right culture, the right values, leading by example, um, you know, to really create the awareness, the tools of the responsibility and the accountability that you were given. Uh, it's only through the culture and this type of mindset that you impact those that represent the company and at the end of the day are the ones that will lead by example and therefore will, le will lead to higher levels of trust. Awesome. I hope it makes sense. Oh my God, it makes so much sense. Uh, uh, I will just say uh, uh, how grateful I am that you've come on this show and spoken to me so openly and honestly and from... All my heart. Thank you. That was incredible. I really appreciate you taking that time. Thank you to you, as I said, and also taking the time to speak with me. Uh, I'm very thankful. So thank You're you. You're very welcome. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to tune in again next week for yet another inspiring female contributor to Jill Donahue's book, A Dose of Inspiration, 100 Purpose Stories of Pharma Leaders. To make sure you don't miss it, you can subscribe via my website, thisgirlcam.com, or just hit follow on your chosen podcast platform. Look out for my newsletter, which will let you enjoy the episode in either print or audio. And you can follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, X and Facebook, all under This Girl Cam. Thanks again, everyone. Bye for now.